Welcome to the Greater Philly Church Podcast, where you'll learn to connect to Jesus and others through great teaching, inspirational stories, and relevant content. I'm Matt Manning, the pastor of Greater Philly Church, and my goal is to help you understand yourself, your relationships, and life in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening. We've got some great uh, things coming up. We've got a new series we're going to be going through called At the Movies, coming up here in uh, uh, the month of August. And so next week we're going to have a uh, special uh, sermon. We're going to pull in some movie clips from famous sports movies about people overcoming and people working through struggles and trials to triumph. But then we'll also have things like, uh, I think next week is soft pretzels. The following week we're going to have popcorn and candy. And then last week we'll have nachos and cheese. Nachos and cheese, and so I don't. I think that's going to be a first for church, right? Say, my church, we had nachos and some cheese in church. Let alone, we just we get to eat in church. So you want to be out for that. As you look there in your notes, we're covering this last final topic, this fifth accidental belief that being right, as you see there in your notes, being right is looking right. Uh, just you can jot this down as a side note. I'm working on a rolling out a brand new podcast that's coming out this Tuesday called the Unmasked Life Podcast. And the goal is I interview different people who have become successful. They've started businesses. They've uh, gotten involved in ministry. And what we're looking to do, what I'm looking to do, is to be able to dive into their story. And for a lot of these people, as as we look at people in life, we think, man, they don't have any problems. But what these folks allow me to do is have a backstage pass to their struggles and trials and problems. And so the guy that you're going to hear from, if you, if you listen in, uh, subscribe to the podcast on Tuesday, the first episode, is a pastor who grew up in a home that it was just unlike anything that, that many of us would ever experience. His family went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But all during the week, his mom had a severe disability. She had an accident at the age of 14, and so she had suffered from severe head trauma. And so he gets into his story about how his home life was so chaotic, and yet how God worked. His mom would cuss him and his brother out and throw things at them and yell at them, and then the next moment say, okay, everybody, let's get ready for church. And so he talks about his story. So if you've ever struggled or had somebody in your life that had physical disabilities and working through those challenges and struggles, you'll definitely want to listen, uh, look, look for the podcast. I'll tell a bit more of his story as we go on this morning. As you look there in your notes, there's this belief that the Pharisees have, and sometimes for us as Christians, we have is this, that for me to be right with God is all about how I look and how I per- am perceived and how I come across. As you see there in your notes, it's easy to believe that being right comes because of looking excellent, looking really good. That being right comes from how people see us. But as you see there, there's this note, what do we do when that excellence is just a cover-up for superficial emptiness? One of the stories this guy that I interview on Tuesday, his name's Sean, uh, he talks about how people from the church would come to his home, and it was his dad and him and his younger brother, Troy. And he talked about how these ladies really meant well-meaning. They would help them clean up their house. He said their house kind of looked like a hoarder's house. They'd have piles of stuff, dishes in the sink, and just it was just this chaos and this mess. And so he said that really well-meaning ladies would come from the church, and they'd help come clean up. And he said then they'd sit the family down, him and his brother and his dad, and they'd say, now listen, if you would help your wife, if you would help Bev out, she wouldn't have the problem she's having. If you would just try harder, your mom wouldn't have all these struggles. 
And as he writes in his book, he, he wrote a story, and then as he tells in the podcast, in the interview, he says the overwhelming sense was, I'm just not good enough. You ever had somebody kind of insinuate that or tell you that? If you would just try harder, you wouldn't have the problems you're having. And he said the reality was that my brother and I, my dad, were working extremely hard to make our lives work, to make our family work. He said my dad would come home from an eight to 10-hour day shift, and then he'd go to his second job. He said, I would cook and clean and do all these things, even as a seven, eight, nine-year-old kid, trying to keep the house together. And really well-meaning people came in and said, well, you're just not trying hard enough. And they meant well, but sometimes, if you've ever had somebody say that to you, and they say, well, if you just tried harder, if you would look better, all the problems you have would go away. As you see there in your notes, how does this excellence, this idea, this standard, if you would just try harder, things would, would work out better for you. How does this excellence turn into superficiality or vanity or shallowness? So your blank there you can fill in is this superficiality. And it's difficult because in churches especially, in all this, this, this last month we've been talking about how churches, we have really good intentions but those intentions can, if we're not careful, really push people away. So how can a desire for excellence fall flat and lose impact? Where does all this begin? You can see it there in your notes. We believe that excellence externally makes our life matter most. That if we look good on the outside, that's what God wants the most. If we look good, if we sound good, if we smell good, if we do things really well on the outside, that's all that matters because the inside doesn't really count. But as we all know, and you live life, I live life, we go through our struggles and stories, and our thought is this, if I look good, everything on the inside will feel better. If I change my job, if I change my relationship, if I change my circumstance, if I can just change on the external thing, things that are going on, what feels bad on the inside will change. And the irony is you watch any movie, you read any story, uh, 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 read a book, you'll we'll find this, that it's not about the outside because we just carry that baggage with us. Unless we change on the inside, it doesn't matter how much we change on the outside. If God doesn't do a deep work in our lives, we can look as good as ever on the outside and it won't matter. It won't make an impact. So Jesus speaks to the Pharisees specifically this morning. He doesn't have a situation like we've talked about, there's no blind man, there's no lady that comes and struggles and says, oh, I'm weeping, crying over his feet, and washing his feet with her. There's nobody else involved. It's just Jesus talking to a crowd and warning them about the Pharisees' doctrine and what they preached and taught. And as you look in your notes there, Jesus speaks specifically against Pharisees this morning. And so the idea is this. Jesus says, this is what the Pharisees do, so this is what you don't want to do to come across that way. As you look there in your notes, you can jump, jump there to your notes. We'll put up on the screen, and we'll find these words unfold from Jesus as he describes from the book of Matthew. Matthew explains in some pretty wild detail, Matthew chapter 23, you can turn there in your Bibles as well, about Jesus' interaction and his talking about the Pharisees. He says there in Matthew chapter 23, verse 1, we find these words. He says, do the opposite of these things if you want your life to count. Jesus spoke to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, and he says, Whatever they teach you, whatever they bid you to observe, do it. If Moses taught it, and they're teaching what Moses taught, 
then listen to what Moses has to say. Remember, the Pharisees taught from the Old Testament the first five books of the Bible, and specifically Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But look what he says, though. But as far as their example goes, what they do, their works, what they do and say, don't do that. It's kind of like you ever have your parents say, listen to what I say, don't follow what I do. But Jesus is saying that here. He says the religious leaders, it almost be like, listen to what the pastor says from the Bible, but nothing else. Could you imagine that? Jesus walking in saying that today. We go on then. Jesus says all kinds of different things in Matthew chapter 23. It's an indictment against the Pharisees. But we're going to pull out just a couple of things that he talks about here for us. He goes on then in verse 16. We'll pull up those verses. He says that the Pharisees, they have empty promises. They make vows and they become empty. He says, woe unto you blind guides which say, whosoever swears by the temple, well, that's nothing, but whosoever swears by the gold, that's that's what you have to make sure you keep your promise on. And he says, you're fools and you're blind. What's, which is greater, the gold or the temple that somebody sacrifices for the gold? It's this idea. If you make a promise, but you cross your fingers and put them behind your back, well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't really count. But if you actually sign a contract, well, that's a different thing. And Jesus says, here's the deal. Whether you make a verbal commitment or a signed contract, keep your word. Keep your promise. He goes on then to say, he describes even more detail. He goes on then in verse 18, he says, And whosoever swears by the altar, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that's upon the altar, he is guilty if he doesn't keep his promise. He says, you're fools and you're blind. For what's greater, the gift or the altar that sacrifices the gift? It's this idea. Somebody says, I swear on my mother's grave that I will. You ever hear somebody say that? Your poor mother. Why is your mother's grave got to be brought into the issue? Like, just keep your word. He says, you raise your hand and you say, I swear, by the moon and the stars in the sky, I'll be there. I'll be there. And I swear. All right. He says, you swear by raising your hand. And you say, well, it doesn't really matter because if I handshake, that doesn't count. But if I swear on the Bible, like we would in court, that's a whole other matter. And Jesus says here, listen, why do you have to up the ante? Why do you have to, to nitpick the details and say, well, we shook hands on it, but... It doesn't really matter. There's all these clauses and these things we work into our agreements today. And we do things and say things because we really don't want to commit to what we say. And Jesus says back in his, in early on in Matthew where he gives a Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you can't commit to something, just say, I can't commit to this. If you're going to commit to something, follow through on it. So he says the Pharisees, one example is that they make empty promises. Then he goes on then, and he talks about misguided priorities. And we find he goes on into verse 23, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. Those are herbs. Those are spices. And he says, you, you buy these things in the market, or you're given these things as gifts, and you'll pay a tithe on these things. You'll give to the temple. And he says, But you've omitted the weightier matters of law and judgment. You've omitted the things of judgment, mercy, and faith. And he says, you, have, you ought to have done these things and not leave the other undone. He says, you're blind guides. You strain in a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Again, he nitpicks. One of the issues, and we don't have time necessarily to show you the scriptures today. One of the issues Jesus talked about the Pharisees, they had a knack for not taking care of their family members. 
And he said specifically the Pharisees, there was one case where a Pharisee, he had parents who needed help being taken care of. They had uh, gotten, the idea was that they had gotten to their retirement years and they needed somebody to take care of them, their children specifically. And so the Pharisees, what they would do is they'd say, listen, instead of paying money to have my parents taken care of, I'm going to give that money to the temple. The idea is that God can have my money then. And Jesus says, does that make sense? Should you go ahead and leave family neglected because you're trying to look good in the eyes of other people? And so he says here, you'll nitpick the smallest things, but you'll miss the major things of life. You'll nitpick these tiny little things, but then of being good and right and just and showing mercy, you'll miss those completely. Then he says, last of all, this last thought, this last idea, he says, you pretend to be righteous. So we have the, the mixed up promises, the misguided priorities, and then there's this pretending to be righteous because of looking good. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within are full of extortion and excess. You're blind Pharisees. You, clean, you cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside may be clean also. The Pharisees were extremely, extremely obsessive compulsive about keeping things clean and keeping things looking just right and just nice. And so they would actually clean and wash dishes and their pots and different things and keep them very nice and clean. So the idea was that they wouldn't have anything bad or unholy entering themselves. And so Jesus uses this, this, this allegory, this play on words, and he says, you clean the outside, you look good on the outside, but... They would extort people. They would do things if people would come to them. Remember, the Pharisees would be judges. They would be teachers in the synagogues. And so as people had problems amongst themselves in the community, they would appeal to the local circuit court of appeals, if you will. They'd appeal to the local Pharisee, the local judge, and they would say, here's a discrepancy between me and my friend, me and my neighbor. This person owes me money, and what do you, what do you think we should do? And so the judge would say, listen, uh, you do this, and they would take bribes and extort things, and they would take advantage of people, and they'd say, listen, you do this, and then I'll do this for you. And you do that, and I'll, I'll push people down towards your marketplace and get you more business in your place. And they wouldn't be honest. They would extort people. They would extort their position. Jesus goes on then and makes it even more pronounced, his indictment against them. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. And so again, there's this, this idea, this connection a Pharisee, and we said early on, a Pharisee, what comes to mind? They're hypocrites. Where did that idea come from? Jesus. Hashtag Jesus said it first. And so Jesus says, you're hypocrites. Why? Because your lives are like whited sepulchers. That is a whitewash. The tomb looks good. But he says, indeed, appears beautiful in the outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. It's difficult because in church we think, well, I don't, I don't think it's appropriate to come in and just start talking about all my issues and like saying all these different things. Like, I committed this sin this past week and I just got to get off my chest and my wife and I are mad at each other and we're not doing well and so I just want to let everybody know. Well, there's a, there's a line, there's an appropriateness. But it's this idea you can come across very stoic and very proper and it's hard because sometimes we think, well, I'm nervous or I'm shy or I just I don't have anything to say. But if we don't engage one another in church, if this is not a safe place for us to be able to talk and be able to share 
And the goal for us as, as your pastor, I want to cultivate a culture where people know they can be. Bro- this is a place for broken people. We don't have to come in looking good in order for you to belong. You ha- can have issues and problems and struggles and be able to share those things. And so as we go through life and do life together, that's why small groups, our growth groups are so important. Our groups are a chance for us outside of these four walls. And it's hard. But as soon as you see a church, it's kind of like, oh boy, I better, I better be careful. I can't tell you how many times I've met people in the community. And I try to, it sounds horrible, but I try to keep the fact of what I do for a living kind of, kind of like I don't talk about it much. Because people will be themselves around me. Hey, and sometimes, and, and people do all kinds of things. And then as soon as they say, well, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor. Oh, oh, uh, really? Oh, uh, well, uh, and then I can just see, I can just see it like, they're thinking like, how do I excuse the last 40 years of my life? Because I feel like I have to confess all that stuff to this guy now. I say, listen, it's okay. You don't have to confess anything to me. I don't, I don't care if you attend church or not. I just, I just want to know and get to know you as a person. I don't want to know about whatever you did on Saturday night. It's okay. You're fine. And the idea is this. In church, sometimes we can make ourselves feel so good because of this issue. I'm not like them. Because I'm not like somebody else. That little bit of insecurity, that self-assuredness, because I don't look like so-and-so, I'm better than. Now, the external thing is, well, we look good and we look excellent and we don't, we don't do things that are not appropriate. But inside that sense of feeling a, a self-esteem at the cost of somebody else, Jesus says, don't do that to people. And the Pharisees walk around and it's about them, the issue and lives and what they do. It's all about those people, those Pharisees. And so as you look there, you know, it's how do we have a life that matters and impacts? How do we work? And it's not, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect as a pastor. I mess up. I say stupid stuff. I say things and not thinking through what I'm saying. And so I'm trying to keep a coffee filter in mind and keep a filter in my forehead of think before you say something. And our church is not perfect. We have failed at different times. And I failed as a leader many times trying to reach people and doing the best we could to reach people where they're at. And Greater Philly is not the church for everybody, but I want to be up for us to be a church for people who are broken and who want to know that they can belong as they are. And that the belief and the life that, that has excellence will come with time. So how do we have a life that matters? Number one, you can look there in your notes. Avoid being on a pedestal. Avoid the idea of being put up on a pedestal. Jesus says early on in Matthew chapter 23 to the crowd that's listening, he says the Pharisees, they love the uppermost rooms at feasts. They love the chief seats in the synagogues and the greeting in the marketplace to be called men, rabbi. And, and he says in verse 8 though, but don't be called rabbis for one is your master, even Christ, and all are brethren. It's this idea of don't get so caught up on promotions, positions, or titles for the synagogues, their place of worship where they would, they would hang out, there's the temple, which was like, man, that's the, that's, the, that's the big place to worship. But then they'd have synagogues where they would come and they'd pray on Saturday, on Sabbath day. And they would have teachings. And so in their synagogues, they're most likely made out of stone. And, and so they would come into these places and they, they would have an open floor, which anybody could kind of sit on the floor. But then they'd have seats against three walls, the two side walls and the back wall. 
And the idea was there's a small raised platform at the front, and that's where whoever was speaking that day, they would read scripture and say a few words, and then they would debate what they were talking about then. Well, the people that got up in the front seats, they liked those spots because other people could see them. Most times in church, people like to scoot in the back because they don't want anybody, I'm not here, nobody sees me, just call me Casper, the friendly ghost, okay? But in those churches, in those synagogues, the Pharisees, they love to come in. And man, when they go to church, they would, they would have these big flowing robes. And, and so when they would walk in, it would be like those old Victorian hoop skirts, you know? And so they would walk in, pardon me, excuse me, while I'm coming through with my big old robe, my big old head. And they'd sit down on one of the front benches on the side so people could see them. And so when whoever was reading the scriptures or whoever was talking about the lesson that day, they would say, mm-hmm, amen, mm-hmm. And they get really, really excited. Why? Because they wanted people to know, I am here and I am righteous and I am good, right? Now, our, our church isn't very demonstrative. Like, we, we tried to clap a little bit earlier, and if we can keep going that direction and, and get a little more demonstrative, that's okay. Like, I like people to talk and amen and those kind of things and get excited. But if we're doing it because we want people to notice, like, I've been in church services where, where the pastor's preaching, and like, I went to the grocery store the other day. Amen. What? Like, it should be like, I won the lottery. Amen, right? But the idea is people, it's just, they're not even thinking. It's just this like, oh, I'm just, I'm just saying this just to say it. There's no thoughtful intention about what they do, about what they say. And so Jesus says this to the people, don't look to be raised up. Don't look to be higher than anybody else. Look to serve people. Number two is this. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. As much as this sounds counterintuitive, don't listen to me, but listen to Jesus. I, my goal is, as best as I can, is on Sundays is to say things to encourage you, to help you, but my goal is to step out of the way so you're not hearing me, but that you hear Jesus speaking to your heart. And so he says in Matthew chapter 23, verses 9 and 10, he says, Call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father and he's in heaven. Don't be called masters, for one is your master, even Christ, just like we just uh, talked about in the previous verse. So the idea is this, be, be so careful who you listen to. And if people, and here's the deal, and I've, I've, I've struggled with this, this is kind of a heart-to-heart -to -heart today. If people don't listen to what you say, that's okay. Give them time. As a pastor, sometimes when people come through the church door and I'll say something, yeah, that's good. And then they'll call me next week, I didn't listen to what you said. And, so, and I can think, man, you knucklehead. But the, here's the deal. Everybody is on their path of working toward maturity and growth. And we've got to give each other some grace. Give me some grace as your pastor. I am a human being. Ask my family. Ask, if you really want to know what goes on at the Manning House, ask my kids. And even though I've warned them, do not talk about our home life. They, they go ahead anyway. Miss, Miss Patty knows a lot more about our family than, than I like, but it's okay. And the idea is this. Listen to, before you listen to anybody else, because what happens is this. In our relationships, people say things to us. And we begin to believe, maybe you had a parent who said to you, you'll never amount to anything unless. And it was the unless that you held on to. Unless you make money and do good for yourself, you will never amount to anything. And so your goal in life is to make a certain amount of money, 
or to arrive at a certain position or to do something. And the crazy thing is, whoever that person was, they may even have passed on, but you're still listening to what they said. And the comments or the criticisms, they're always there in the back of your mind. And you're not living your life according to Jesus. We're living our lives according to somebody's criticism, not according to what Jesus has called us to. Number three, then, we find this. Point people to Jesus. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because he says, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for neither go in yourselves, and neither suffer you them to enter in. He says this, the Pharisees were saying, if you want to have favor and be right with God, you have to attend synagogue so many times a week. And so the idea was then people would meet that criteria. And then they'd say, okay, good. Well, now if you really want to, they would upsell them. Now, if you really want to get in good with God, you've got to do this many things for synagogue. And then you have to do this many things for the rabbi of the synagogue. And so they kept, it's kind of like being upsold, you know? Like if you, if you buy my whatever, my, my, uh, my pill, or if you buy this program, you'll make money. Or if you buy this book, and so you read the book, or you buy the program, or do whatever the thing is, and then you get to the end of the book or the end of the program, well, now that you have this pill that you're taking, now you need to take that pill. And they just upsell you. And there's never an end in sight. And so, too, for the Pharisees, it will just keep trying harder and harder and harder. And eventually they'll get there. As you look there in your notes, we have a couple of statements, a couple of ideas this to, th- to think about. Is my life a roadblock or is it a roadway to God for people? Am I pointing people to God, to Jesus, or is my life a stumbling block for people? When people look at me and they know that I'm a Christian or a pastor or whatever it is that they know about me, does it cause people to say, man, I want to get to know that person more and spend more time with them? Or is it, I, I, really, I really don't want to spend time with them? We've all been there on the receiving end of that, right? And so what's interesting is this. This issue came to a crisis point in the church early on in the book of Acts where you had the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees had become Christians and followers of Christ. Some of the Jews who were very adamant about the old traditions of Moses were very adamant about following those traditions, but also following Jesus. Now, if you remember, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't mix it up much. So you have Jewish people who are coming and following Jesus. Then you have Gentile people who are not Jewish, ethnically, racially. They're not Jewish. And so they want to follow Jesus too. It's kind of like, hey, we've got this, this new thing going on. And people are like, hey, I want to join. Nope, 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 you can't. You can't come, whatever it might be. And so they bring this issue. There's a lot of argument. And the argument surrounded this issue. The Jews, according to their worship and according to their, their, their ethnicity, one of the things, their traditions was circumcision. And so they said for the Gentile people, in order for you to worship Jesus and become followers of Jesus, you have to become circumcised. And some of the people had no problem with that. Some of the people had a big problem with that. So do I, I, don't, I don't really think I want to become a Jewish uh, follower of Jesus then. And so there's a lot of arguments. So you look in there in your notes. Acts chapter 15. Jesus' brother James became the head pastor of the church there in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended to heaven. And in Acts chapter 15, there's this big debate. What does it take to become a follower of Jesus? He says this. This is what James says. Here's my sentence. That we trouble not them 
which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Say, okay, can you say that another way? Here's another, here's another translation of that. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. I still don't get it. Here's another, here's another try. So here's my decision. We're not going to unnecessarily burden non-Jewish people who turn to the Master. How does that translate into our situation? Our goal as Greater Philly Church is this. People who have not been churched, people who are not used to coming to church, our goal is to not make it unnecessarily difficult for them to come to church. But how do we do that? Well, we have air conditioning. You know, can you imagine? Come to church. But your church is really hot and everybody sweats there a lot. And it's really like kind of gross and stuff. But we're suffering for Jesus. Come suffer with us for Jesus, you know. And we have food. You have food at church? Yeah, well, I didn't think people were allowed to eat food at church. Well, we eat nachos and cheese and it's all presents in our church, you know. But that's sin. Well, not last time I checked, the Bible wasn't sin. And we have upbeat music with Gene going to town on the drums, you know. Why? Because... Some people love really upbeat music. And then we also have some song that's a little more meditative and a little more prayerful, you know? And so we also try to do things like people say, man, I, I, and I've literally had people say this to me. One of the reasons why I don't go to church is because, like, I have to paint everything on my face. And I have to, like, put on all this stuff and get dressed and look good. And I, I can only do that twice a year. Well, when is that? Christmas and Easter, you know? Like, that's, that's kind of how it rolls. And so we say, you know what? If you want to get dressed up and come to church, go for it. If you want to wear a suit and tie, man, come on through the doors. But if you want to just come to church in like jeans and a t-shirt, flip-flops and shorts, like go for it. That's okay. There's no dress standards, no dress requirements. Some churches I've heard of, maybe you have heard of these stories too, where on the way in, they'll hand people articles of clothing so that they can go ahead and dress a certain way. That's that church. That's what they do. And that's fine. That's their culture. But our goal is to follow what James is saying here and not make it unnecessarily difficult for people to come and see what's going on. I had this great conversation this past week, talking about church with somebody. And I said, what do you think is one of the big struggles for people coming to church these days? And they said, well, I think the struggle is it's not that people aren't church. They don't know about church. But because a lot of people do, especially in our area. They, they went to church probably growing up as a kid in some form or another. But the problem is all, they love Jesus. They like Jesus, and they like the idea of church. But it's all the extra stuff that we add on, all the extra baggage and the politics and bureaucracy. The idea of, like, I like going to my grandma's church when I was a kid, but then I grew up, and, like, I, I kind of don't want to go to grandma's church anymore. So it's like, well, Greater Philly is not your grandma's church, you know? Like, I don't, we got grandmas here, so I don't think that's going to fly as a tagline. Like, Greater Philly Church, not your grandma's church. Or not your mama's, not, not your mama's church, you know. But the idea is this. It, it is like mom's church in some degree. And it is like grandma's church in some degree. But it's a church for you and me, for people who want to connect to Jesus the best they can. And we're going to grow and we're going to change. And our goal is not to make it difficult for people. Because here's the deal. We have all been on the outside of a door somewhere. We have all been on the outside of a room somewhere and we weren't allowed in. We've all been in a job. We've all been with a group of friends. We've all been in a family situation where maybe it was a physical room or just, uh, just the idea of a room where we were not welcome, and we were not allowed to get on the inside, and we were not allowed to participate, and we were not allowed to, to, to hear what was going on or connect 
because we just weren't trying hard enough. And so the goal is you just show up, and if you like donuts, man, you're in. If you don't like donuts, that's okay. If you're vegan, feel free. We like vegans here. We have empty cups of nothing in them for you, okay? <laughs> so come, come, and sit and listen. And here's my encouragement to people. If you have friends or people that you're talking to and they're like, man, church is so whack. Church is so difficult. Here's what I would encourage you. Somebody can come one time and they can say, oh, see, I told you, I told you. But here's what I would encourage. Just coming to church one time, it's kind of like, like reading one sentence from an article or one, one, one paragraph from a book. You can't get a full idea. It's like just watching the bad part of a movie sometimes, you know, like, man, that was a dumb movie. Did you see the whole thing? Well, no, because I didn't like the first five minutes, so I just turned it off. Well, the, the, but there's this whole other part coming. So my encouragement is this. Attend Greater Philly at least four weeks. You can do that. Just for just a month, just four weeks. At least you'll get donuts out of it. Encourage the people in your life. They say, I don't know. We've got some great Sundays coming up here. At the movies, the goal is come to church. We're going to watch movies at church. What? We're going to have uh, soft pretzels at church. Really? And then in a couple weeks, we're going to have a bounce house out back, and we're going to have cake, and we're going to have a great time and celebrate Greater Philly's eighth birthday. You celebrate birthdays at church? What? Yeah. And the goal is, is to help people get to Jesus by whatever means necessary. As you look there, number four is this. Keep your promises. Keep your promises. If you and I would keep our promises, we would find people beginning to trust us. And as they begin to trust us, eventually they'll trust Jesus. The Pharisees taught this. Cross your fingers, cross your heart, and hope to die. Stick a needle in your eye. Crossing your fingers or just a handshake doesn't count. But if you raise your right hand and put your hand on the Bible, that counts. They nitpick. Jesus taught this. You make a promise, you keep a promise. Sounds like wisdom from your dad or your mom, right? So if we make a promise, we keep a promise. Number five, prioritize your life. Here's three priorities to add into life. He says this, when he talks to, when he said woe to the Pharisees, they tithe on the herbs, but then they miss out on judgment and mercy and compassion. He says, be fair toward other people that are like you. It's easy to take advantage of people that are in our family and our friends, right? Well, they'll understand. They'll know. But Jesus says, no, be fair to people that you hang out with. The second thought is this. Have compassion toward people who are nothing like you or me. Have compassion toward those people. Give them a break. It's so easy, and I've said this before. It's so easy to put my standards and expectations on somebody who didn't come from my background. Why? My thought is this. If they would just do what I do, then they would have a better life. And why aren't they doing what I'm doing? Well, because they didn't grow up with a mom and dad. Or they grew up with a mom and dad, and they had difficulties with their mom and dad. Or they had issues, or they, they had somebody that hurt them terribly as a kid growing up. And all kinds of crazy stuff. I had uh, one lady that I interviewed for the podcast, her name's Kathy. And she, she told her story about how she grew up in a, in a regular, regular old home, mom and dad. She went off, uh, got married, and she said she was so excited the day she got married because she thought, at, at, right before she walked down the aisle, she thought, man, this is perfect. That man down there, he's going to be the man of my dreams, and he's going to be perfect, and if he's not, I'm going to change him. And she said, oh, was she wrong. She said she got seven years into her marriage. She had a three-year-old. 
and she had one on the way, and she said she hated her husband. She said she got so angry, so, so angry, that she took out that anger on her child. Even to the point she said, I choked my two-year-old little girl one day. That's how angry she got. And then I asked her, I said, well, can you share with me where did that anger come from? She said, well, there's two incidents in third grade. I don't know what it is about third graders, but man, <laughs> third grade. She said, first of all, I got in an argument with a next door neighbor girl, and I punched her in the face, punched her right in the nose, bop. She said, I was so mad, that girl, she started crying. She turned around, walked away, and she said, that day I made a vow, I'll never get angry again. And I said, well, that didn't turn out too good, did it? She said, no. So what was the second incident? She said, the second incident is I had somebody molest me, a family member. And she said, I vowed before God, it's my fault. I should have seen it coming. And she said, as a third grader, she said, I remember sitting in a tub, all suds around me, and she said, Jesus, just wash it away, wash it off. And she said, that anger then came back with a vengeance. But then she goes on to tell her story that God worked in her life, and God changed and moved her. And it's so easy for us to look at somebody and say, well, why are you having marriage problems? What do you have a reason to have marriage problems for? Well, you go back and you start finding out what people have gone through in their lives, and you think, man, I would have marriage problems too, you know? And all of a sudden, if we start to ask questions and start to listen to people and start to not just see people as somebody to take advantage of or to move us forward in life, but begin to see people for who they are and their story and listen to them, listen to what they have to say, we'll begin to understand people in such a greater way. We see there Micah 6, 8. God says these words. Or Micah writes these words. He showed you what is good and what the Lord requires to do justice, that is fairness, to love mercy, that is to have compassion, and to walk humbly with God. That is commitment. And we find we have two more then. Number six, care for your soul. Care for your soul. We find this. Prioritize your life. Care for your soul. What do we mean there? God will take care of your reputation. He'll take care of the outside. Sometimes in life we can think, well, I want to look a certain way because I want people to think a certain thing about me. But you know what's amazing about it? When you see somebody who's really laying it on thick, I mean, they are just trying to put on a presentation for you with how they present themselves. Doesn't, doesn't your, your radar kind of go up like, hmm, they're trying a little too hard. You know, the radar's going on. Hmm, I, th I think they're trying to pull something here. We can read each other really well. And as much as we try to put on a certain show or try to put on a certain uh, presence before us, people can see. And so Jesus says to us, take care of your soul. Take care of what people can't see, and God will take care of what people can see. Number seven, we'll wrap up. Step down to stand out. You can tweet that. That's tweetable. Step down to stand out. Jesus says to the people listening to them, he says, if you want to do something, serve people. Be content to be you, and your life will count plenty. It's so easy. I struggle with this. So I'll raise my hand. I think many of us can struggle with this. We look on social media. We talk to other people, and we hear how people are doing their lives. And we think, man, if I could just have their opportunity, if I could just have their job, if I had their home, if I had their, their car, well, maybe not their car, but if I could have, be married to their spouse, if I could have their kids, man, I'd be such a great parent. You know, if I could have their opportunities, I would do, be doing so much better in life. And what's amazing is this. 
God has not called you to be anybody else but you. God has not called you to be anybody else but you. And, and, and here's the thought. Stop looking at the void in your life of what you don't have and start looking at the value around your life. Because the void that you think you have, if you stop looking at the void, you'll begin to see the incredible value, the people that God has put around you, the church that God has set before you to be able to help and encourage you, the job you have, the opportunities you have, the security that God's brought to you, the peace that God has for you. When we focus so much on the void, we lose the value in our lives. And so we find this, when I can look at the value around me, then I can begin to serve. I don't have to step up to stand out. I can step down. Being a Christian isn't about looking like we follow Jesus. It's not about looking like we follow Jesus. Being a Christian is about loving like we follow Jesus. Why? Because we do. And when we begin to love like Jesus loved and slow down, I've said this before, we can live life at the speed of light and we can go fast and then we'll have stress and that stress will work itself out in our bodies and we're going to feel the pain and stress because we're just go, 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 go. Why? Why? And Jesus has called us to live at the speed of love. You know what's amazing? Love, it goes slow. Kids, the kids uh, started up school this week and Maggie is five years old and she's in kindergarten now and she's excited. I mean, like Christmas excited about school. And so she comes running up to me the first day of school that she had, and she said, Dad, Dad, I'm so excited, I'm so excited. I'm working, okay, look at me. I'm listening. No, look at me. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm busy right now, so the fact that you're in my office right now, you better be thankful, okay? No, Dad, look at me. So I look at her. What's up? I learned something new. Okay, great, what is it? Tell me, come on, come on. Uh, uh. I said, what? I forget. Let me go figure it out again. So she takes, brrr, takes off, comes back up the stairs. What'd you learn? I learned I says I, I, I. You mean you had to take like 10 minutes to tell me this. And then I was like, live at the speed of love. Live at the speed of love. Love her. Love this little girl. And in my mind, I'm thinking about Kathy's story, being a third grader, and all the things that she's going through. And one of the things that Kathy told me in the interview, she said, never, ever, ever underestimate the feelings of a child. Just never do that. Why? Because those feelings don't go away. The feelings you and I have as adults, I, I'm, I'm busy, child, I'm busy. Don't you see I'm busy? Yeah, but she has something pressing that she has to tell me. You know, I'm so excited that she thought so much of me I'm her, as her dad instead of going down the street and find some six-year-old boy to go tell about what she's learned in school. Uh-uh, not on my watch, so I'm going to listen to her all day long because she's not going to tell some six-year-old boy, I, 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 uh-uh, you know? Live at the speed of love. Why? Because otherwise, our lives, we can polish up and we can look good. And at the end of our days... Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope it was encouraging and inspiring. If you'd like to know more information about Greater Philly Church, you can go online to greaterphilly.church. You can also find information on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook about the church as well. I'd love to be able to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt, M-A-T-T, Manny, M-A-N-N-E-Y. I've also got a blog with great content that you can find more information about at mattmanny.com. 
I hope the message today helped you to understand yourself, your relationships, and Jesus better in light of what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening.